on remembering God's goodness. I'm going to read that psalm, and then we'll look at certain portions of it this morning. Psalm 107, this is God's word. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving, and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. And they cried to the Lord in their distress, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. And they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people, and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert. Springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. 
The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Giving thanks, something foundational to being human. We're called to give thanks. We're created with a Godward focus to remember our Creator and to give Him thanks. Yet sin has done its work, and ever increasingly in this country has done its work, such that we think that the world is just here by chance, that things just run their course according to fate, whatever that is. And so, therefore, giving thanks has fallen on hard times because we don't know to whom we are to give thanks. We're just thankful that things turned out the way they did. We're thankful because fate dealt us a good hand, we hear people say, which is utter nonsense. The psalm here reminds us that this world is controlled by, is governed by the Lord, and that all things, both good and evil, good and bad, are under God's control. He ordains whatsoever comes to pass. And so, those who are redeemed should say so. Verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, that the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to him. And we read from another psalm, and praise his name. Now, there's a lot that could be said about this psalm of 43 verses, but I want to be fairly brief this morning. But I want to say this as we, as we at the outset, the, the most rebellious position that we really can take is that of ingratitude as people, as those who have a mind, as those who have been been created to look around, to observe, and to make observations and, and draw conclusions because we have minds to process and to think through what is taking place. The most rebellious attitude, position that we can hold is that of ingratitude. To say that all that we see around us, with all of its complexity and all of its, its, its complementarity and all of this coming together, to say that this just happens and therefore we're just thankful that it didn't happen some other way, is utter rebellion against the creator of the universe. I've noticed the Christmas decorations going up earlier and earlier every year. I think it's probably not just true here in Indiana. It's true everywhere. And I think, I have a theory about that, that that we want to get past this holiday called Thanksgiving and get to the real holiday that we like, Christmas, because then we get what we want for ourselves. Thanksgiving is giving thanks to someone. And we, who knows what people give thanks to today. Like I said, it's, we're just thankful things didn't turn out 
differently or we're thankful that things went the way they did. We don't want to think about giving thanks to God. In fact, so many have called it, now it's just Turkey Day. We get together. It's a food holiday. It's a food day. We get together. We gather together. They start on our street on Wednesday night. They go through Thursday and I think into Friday, Saturday, probably Sunday. Just food. Just, just eating and being together without giving thanks, without reflecting on the blessings that we have in this country. And just wanting to move on. But the redeemed of the Lord, the psalmist says, the redeemed of the Lord give thanks. The body of the psalm, the, the largest section of the psalm is the verses 4 through 32, speaking of God's many kindnesses, his Deliverance. The four stanzas there, if you will. There's four stanzas, verses 4 to 9, verses 10 to 16, verses 17 to 22, verses 23 to 32, each of which could be a sermon. I hope your oven's not on. But then there's a conclusion that brings it together and, and helps us understand what's, what's going on. We're not going to the conclusion yet. I won't preach four sermons but we're not going to get to the conclusion just yet. Before we even get to it, I want to ask how well you know your history. How well do you know the past? Do you remember? Quiz, maybe for the kids. I know you're not in school today, but you've got a holiday, but that doesn't mean you can't stop learning. You have to stop learning. Maybe for the adults too. Which figure in American history said history is bunk? Henry Ford didn't think we could learn anything from history. Who said those who cannot remember the past are doomed to repeat it? A little more obscure, George Santayana. A Santayana, excuse me. Children, maybe a little easier for you. Who said Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. There we go. We have, we have one historian among us, Abraham Lincoln. And then one, for the children among us, maybe of all ages, who said a person's a person no matter how small. I'm seeing lips moving. Come on, you can just say it. Horton, right? Horton the elephant from Horton Here's a Who? Come on, you all watch that. Maybe not. I think you're not admitting it. I saw lips moving. I really did. Well, in these examples, what I, what I want to do as we introduce this, the, the, the psalm this morning is I want us to see that there's different ways of looking at history. One says history's bunk, can't learn a thing. One says if you don't learn from it, you're going to repeat the same mistakes. But then there's also a sense of what, what, what do we think of when we're looking around at other people? Are they, are they important? Are they meaningful? Do we have a relationship with them? How, how do we understand where we've come from, where we're going, and who we're there with? There's, there, we, we do need to think about this. It's not just we're just moving along in some chance experiment of fate, all those words put together is just a alphabet soup. It doesn't make any sense. 
But that's how we talk today. We've got to realize it's, it, there's meaning in it. And that there is an outcome, that there is a purpose for our presence here. Other questions. When did the pilgrims come ashore? Now you're scared. December 11, 1620. When did they celebrate the first Thanksgiving? Far as we can tell, now you're going to get big debate from, from people, but November 1621. They had come to, a, to the New World. I'm reading a book on this which argues about what their real motives were, and so I'm all conflicted at the moment. But uh, as best we can tell, for religious freedom, um, because they were worried about the secularization taking place in the Netherlands, where they had escaped to from England, and then coming to Plymouth. But what they did is they remembered God's goodness. What causes What causes a lack of thankfulness? Very very broadly, sin causes a lack of thankfulness. What specifically? We could say specifically forgetfulness. Forgetting what God has done. The redeemed, it says here, the redeemed what? They remember and give thanks. It's very straightforward. And then it says at the end of this psalm, the wise remember and consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Well, let's look at the psalm a bit together. Children, perhaps you think you can't relate too well to this psalm, but I think it's, I think it's easier than what you, what you think as you listen this morning. Charles Spurgeon said of this psalm, although this psalm celebrates earthly deliverances, it's talking about all these deliverances that God gives, under cover of this It mainly magnifies the Lord for spiritual blessings, of which these earthly blessings are but types and shadows. What did the psalmist remember and call the people to remember? Well, they're wandering in the wilderness, first of all, verses 4 to 9. They wandered in the wilderness. They were hungry. They were thirsty. Remember how they complained. There's... There's something going on in the psalm here. It's not just about specific events. It's about a broader understanding. But, but we can certainly look at that specific event. When they are wandering in the wilderness, they, had, they could not find fresh drinking water. They complained about not having enough to eat. And what happened? They cried out to the Lord. Or were they more than that? They grumbled against the Lord. And the Lord provided. All of you ever said, I'm dying of thirst. I'm dying of hunger. We had a little of that growing up in our house. There was food available. There was water available. And yet we were dying of hunger. We couldn't wait for supper. We couldn't wait to get something to drink. Yet we had all that we needed. But what if there wasn't anything available? What if there wasn't anything in the refrigerator? What if there wasn't a refrigerator? What if there wasn't any fresh water I'm just thinking about how things have changed today. We, we, do, we just go to the grocery store. We go to Strack and Ventil. We go to Meyer, We go to Aldi. Just pick up the food, get whatever we want to drink. We don't think about what we just sang, that the Lord is the one who provides the rains, the suns, the, the breezes, all necessary for these crops to grow, for them to, to be harvested, machinery for them to be harvested, so that we might have food on the shelves. We just think, well, it's all going to be there. But God is the one who's, who's ordaining all those, those things unto the end that we have food and drink. Yet how often do we thank him for that in a 
in a reflective way. Now, the picture of Israel's wilderness wandering can be seen here, but it's more than just finding physical food and drink. It's about looking to God in his way. They wandered because they were aimless. They didn't want to follow God's way. It says their soul fainted within them. They cried to the Lord and he delivered them from their distress. Well, there's more going on here. It's about looking to God. It's about hungering and thirsting after what God wants to give us, true food and drink. Remember what Jesus said of himself, I am the bread from heaven. You eats of me will never be hungry. I am, I can give living water. The one who drinks will never be thirsty. Again, he said to the woman at the well in John chapter four, if you, th- this water is not going to satisfy the thirst that you truly have. It is me alone that can satisfy So the Lord provides. He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. What does Jesus say in Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes? He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Satisfied in Christ, the righteous one. The next stanza, Verses 10 to 16, the psalmist reminds his readers of how some people were imprisoned for rebelling against the words of God. This could refer specifically to Egypt, but it can also speak more broadly to the captivity that sin brings at at any given time. Bound by sin, as it's often spoken of in the epistles, particularly Paul talks about that in Romans God will allow his people at times to be, to fall in their sin, to know the bondage of sin, that they might cry out to him in order to be delivered. It says there, verse 12, so he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. And then they cried and he delivered. He's able to free people from the bondage of sin and its ultimate penalty. If you noted those words there in verse 16, he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. What do we sing around Easter time? We say Christ has burst the bars of the prison of death, right? We're speaking here of Christ coming to deliver us from what we deserve, which which is death. He's powerful to save, to deliver. God delivers. Stanza three Set verses 17 to 22. Psalmist reminds uh, the people that some acted foolishly and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. Now, foolishness is a moral term, acting as though God does not exist. We have a lot of foolishness today. Those who don't recognize that their sin is creating their affliction, that their Rebellion against God is what's causing their pain and their suffering and their misery. But they act foolishly and say, no, I'm not hurt. This, this isn't hurt. In fact, I feel better than I've ever felt. This is, this is great, my way. But we recognize that the fool speaks this way. Many act foolishly today. We act foolishly whenever we think, act, or speak as though God's word has no place in our lives. We must confess our sins and find forgiveness in Christ. And then when we do, we're to sing. Look what it says in verse 22. 
He delivered them. Verse 22, it says, and they offered sacrifices of thanksgiving. He says, let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. I like the the chorus, the refrain of Chris Tomlin's version of Amazing Grace. He says this, my chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. So true, the Lord delivers us. And we have to sing of that, of his amazing grace. To do that. I go back to that point I was making earlier, that it seems Christmas decorations come out earlier and earlier every year as though we're trying to get to the next holiday but we want to remember what Christmas is about. It's not about us getting what we want without, any, without having to pay for it. It's about us getting what we need without being able to pay for it. It's looking to God who says, I have provided my son to deliver you from your sin, which you cannot pay for. The debt is too great. But you must look to me. You must confess your sins. And you must recognize that the greatest gift is the gift of my son, who sets you free. Offer, then, a life of grateful obedience. That's the sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Tell of all that God has done in songs of joy. If we truly know ourselves, then our hearts sing for joy when we think about God's gift of salvation, the one who brings healing and deliverance. Did you see that in verse 20? God heard them cry and he sent out his word and healed them. Who is the word? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God's final word, God's complete word that we might be delivered from our foolishness and from our sin. And he is to be thanked and praised. The last stanza. Verses 23 to 32, we have the image of a ship tossed about on the waves. A frightening and helpless feeling comes over us sometimes in the storms of life. Self-inflicted, we read here, because of, because of their sin. But at times, we don't understand what's going on. And this is a chaotic experience. For the sea was a picture of that which was chaotic for the people of God. They were land dwellers. They didn't like being on the water. We don't like to be in in difficult circumstances. When chaos comes, what do we do? We cry out to God for he is mighty to save. Another song comes to mind, Savior, he can move the mountains. He's mighty to save, mighty to save. The psalmist had no idea that this would happen, this calming of the storms. He had no idea that this was going to happen in the life of Jesus. When he comes, you remember, and he's with the disciples, and they wake him up, he's asleep in the boat, and they say, we're going to die. And Jesus says one word, peace. And all the storming ceased. Mark chapter 4. It's interesting to point out that this psalm was quoted by William Bradford, uh, one, several commentators call it the Thanksgiving, or the Pilgrim's Psalm. William Bradford of the, of the uh, first group of uh, pilgrims to come to the New World 
He's quoting this when he arrived in the new world after coming through stormy seas. And God brings his people through. And we must not forget that God can bring us through, even through difficulty. That was no easy experience that they faced. Indeed, half of them, of that first party, died in the first six months. And yet they could recognize that God had been with them and through this grief would sustain them. Then we see verses 33 to 42 as a conclusion reminding us again that we're not just floating around in a meaningless world merely observing fate's impersonal quote-unquote power, which again is nonsense. Psalmist reminds us that the redeemed of the Lord know that God is in control and give him thanks. And the psalmist reminds us as he closes that which seems harsh and that which seems bountiful is from the Lord. Listen to what he says, verses 33 to 35, or 34, excuse me. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. So he does, he has control over that, control over the the weather. But then it says, not only does he do this, he also brings blessing. Look at verses 35 to 38. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. You see, dear redeemed, we walk by faith knowing that God is preparing a place for us. Christ says he's preparing a place for his own. That when he returns, we might be established in that eternal dwelling. That place of rest and of fruitfulness. It is our privileged position then to live with grateful faith in grateful obedience to God for all that he's done. Did you notice that refrain in each of the stanzas? Verses 8, 15, uh, 21, and 31. The phrase is this, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. He says it again and again and again and again because we need to be reminded, don't we? Again, our privileged position in this age is to live out a grateful faith. The last word, verse 43, is defining. Who is wise? Who is the wise one? It says this, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things, all of these blessings, all of these deliverances. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Indeed, be wise. Attend to the blessings of the Lord and give thanks in this day and always. Let's pray. Well, Lord, you are good. You are worthy of all praise and thanksgiving. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Your steadfast love endures forever. In our physical needs, in our spiritual need, 
Lord, you provide, and you've provided in your Son. All that comes, comes from your fatherly hand. The provision of salvation in Christ comes from your fatherly hand in meeting all the requirements of righteousness, such that in Christ we have all our sins forgiven. We've been made forever right with you and been granted salvation. And therefore, we can rejoice and be thankful. Help us to remember that, to rejoice in that, to be grateful always. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.